Hello and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. From operating systems to security platforms, the foundations of our current internet were largely built by volunteers and researchers. To continue this legacy, last year we introduced the Stack Zero grant. It's a non-equity grant program that aims to support early-stage teams building decentralized technologies with funding, expertise, and access to the Samsung Next network. So today I'm here with Ricardo Mendez, who's part of the Samsung Next team in Europe. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So to start, uh, Ricardo, tell us a little bit about what your role is at Samsung Next. Uh, sure. I'm uh, basically the technical director for Europe for Samsung Next. And I'm based with a team out of Berlin. Uh, so I'm a software engineer by training myself. And uh, this is coming quite handy because about half of my work is going out, finding interesting teams and companies to invest on or teams to partner with. Uh, the other half is mostly looking into the technical specifics of this, figuring out how well designed it is, what the architecture is, if it's actually novel, if it has, you know, if, if the, if the thing has legs, basically. As part of this, I also spend a lot of time going out, giving talks at conferences, both on technology and topics around this. Today we're talking a little bit about the Stack Zero grant, which was a program that we kicked off before the holidays last year. Tell us a little bit about the grant and how it came to be. Sure. Uh, well, the grant is actually a program, you know, in, in Samsung Nest we do investments mostly. We do investments, product development, and M&A. All of this assumes that the company is at a certain stage, a stage where we can see a business model and we can see a business model going forward. The issue with tech is that there is a lot of technology that needs to be created often before something gets to the stage. And the most innovative, whatever the person is working on is, the longer this is likely to take. Because often you don't even know what shape this is going to end up taking. And what we wanted to do is support these teams. Uh, a lot of this happens as research, happens as open source projects. And I don't think there's a single company in the world that doesn't benefit from open source nowadays. And uh, this is also something that helps us be good corporate citizens, give it back a little bit to teams that are building in a completely pro bono or just uh, unsupported fashion. A lot of these projects are just supported by random people who like like what they're doing um, and give them a little bit of corporate support so they could have more stability going forward. And we focus this effectively on decentralization technologies for now. So from a big picture perspective, why is decentralization such a big theme or such a big focus for us? Well, from a big picture perspective, perhaps one of the most interesting things is that people don't realize how many devices we have out there. When you have centralized computing power, like the kind that, say, AWS or any other big data center has, uh, this drives a certain type of application because it is cheap for them to accumulate power at scale. Uh, Samsung is actually in a really relevant position to be able to take advantage of all the devices that they have out there. And in doing so, we can actually empower people because decentralization puts control of the data and the software back into the users, not just behind some API wall somewhere. Okay, so let's talk about what decentralization means and how these technologies are different from the computing infrastructure we use today. Sure. Uh, let's think about a 
trivial approach. Suppose we're talking about messaging and I want to send you a message through anything, Telegram, iMessage, any, any other system, Slack. The centralized approach would mean that everybody who needs to talk is talking to the exact same central server or at least the exact same central control power, right? There might be many servers doing the same function all by a single central entity. So if I need to send you a message, it doesn't matter if you and I are in the same building, this needs to leave my computer, go to a server on somewhere, then this needs to notify your device that there's a message and send it to you. Um, this basically means that any centralized systems becomes a center of control as well. They get a complete view on absolutely everything that is going on through the system. On a decentralized approach, this doesn't need to happen. If we have, uh, for instance, a peer-to-peer mechanism and you and I are on the same network, it's perfectly possible that the message never leaves the network. It just sends directly to you and nobody else gets to see that we're communicating. That's a trivial example, but there's many other approaches to decentralization, um, including social networks, photo sharing, a lot of other aspects. The line depends on exactly how decentralized things are. It might be completely peer-to-peer, as in this example, or it might be federated, meaning that there's a network of servers controlled by different organizations that communicate through a standard approach. And it seems like we have this sort of pendulum swinging between centralized and decentralized computing as as time goes on, whereas there was the mainframe system and then client-server and then you know went to sort of the cloud model model. Um, why is the pendulum swinging back at this point? Like what's enabling that? Let's talk a bit about the previous step before cloud, actually. When we had a whole bunch of people with computers that were just slightly networked, uh, these desktop computers haven't had enough computing power. But there wasn't anything connecting the networks at large. Maybe you were connected on a local network, but there was no way that you could reach out to somebody on the other side of the world, at least not easily or not in real time or not reliably. When we got this fat, reliable pipes connecting the world, this basically made it easy to enable economies at scale where you start moving processing power to the net, to a centralized server on that old, all computers connect to through the network. And this enabled some things that were impossible before. Um, because for instance, maybe your desktop computer wasn't powerful enough to do AI image analysis, but a network of servers could do this more easily. Of course, this had other side effects, like, for instance, privacy implications, uh, which I think is one of the factors that are coming up right now. Users are realizing more and more that there's a gigantic privacy aspect of having a single large corporation control over the data. And the second one is that the same way that networks developed before, we have had a significant amount of more computing power on everyday devices. I mean, the, the the phones that we have now in our pockets might as well be supercomputers from the computers that I started programming with, right? Uh, so um, these two things combined, the, um, the availability of relatively inexpensive, extremely powerful hardware with uh, people regaining the, this idea that their own data and their own identity is being used to sell them stuff, you know, is something that is making the pendulum swing back right now. Okay. How do we think about decentralization versus blockchain and how those things fit together and what each is useful for? Blockchain is a very particular tool. It's something that kind of captures people's imaginations as like the poster child of decentralization. 
partly because of the speculative run-up of cryptocurrencies during 2017. Um, but decentralization has a lot more aspects to it. I mean, blockchain is effectively a data structure. It's a way to store a certain type of information. But it doesn't fit all use cases. It doesn't fit most use cases. For instance, if, if we were talking, again, about messaging, there's no particular reason to store this on a blockchain, which is a relatively slow and very mutable structure. You know, if we're talking about keeping your photographs and sharing them just with your friends and not with, you know, with the photosharing.com, for instance, a blockchain is completely useless for this. Um, blockchains do have some uses, but they're just not the single tool that we could potentially use. So tell me a little bit about the Stack Zero grant, how we got started and what the idea was behind it. The grants actually got started as a project within Samsung Next Europe. When we open an office in a certain location, we try to do things that are, you know, to adapt. We don't do, we don't go at this with a one size fits all approach. And Europe has a very particular outlook on things. I mean, Europe by itself, you could see it as a decentralized system. We have a whole bunch of countries, everyone with their own particular characteristics they, that communicates through a certain standard. Um, in this case, a completely political standard. Um, and in Berlin, there are a lot of decentralization projects going on. Uh, a lot of these are commercial, but there's also a lot of university research. Seeing this upfront kind of brought up the realization that this is something that we could help be helping further, you know. So that's that was pretty much the origin of it. And why decide to do a, a non-equity grant as part of this program? Uh, and the reason I ask is because we also do equity investments. What was important about making this a grant process? Well, to put it simply, there's cases where equity works. When you have an actual business, when you have something that can be expected to generate revenue, equity works. But there is a lot of research, there's a lot of knowledge that just needs to be part of the commons. You know? And this part, this basic fundamental research, you could say, try and build an IP company around it and then add a patent to it, but this would severely diminish its value. Uh, this is information basically whose value lies on its availability to everyone to everyone for building upon this goes you know both from companies that we're investing on that can use this to anybody else in the world uh, so we thought that it, this would have a lot more value for the teams and for the community at large if it was just a completely no strings attached grant so that the teams that know this know what they're working on much better than we do could just take the grant and build with it what they think they need to be building. So what were we looking for in the process of the applications? What types of companies or projects or research uh, were you trying to find? Well, we weren't trying to find a particular type of project. In fact, a lot of this was the idea for us to have a discovery factor. Otherwise, we could just have picked a few projects that we know of and then then give them a grant directly. We did have some strict criteria. Uh, we wanted, well, of course, they need to be non-commercial. They needed to be working on either open source or open research. So if you're building, if you're doing some research that then you expect to patent yourself, this would not be open research, of course. And then we wanted this to be something that is building what we could call a foundational infrastructure 
something that others could build upon. Uh, so for instance, if you were building a specific application for photo sharing, this is a lot less interesting than somebody who's doing research on a way to securely and secretly share data, which could be used for photos as well. So the foundational infrastructure aspect was a particularly important one for us. Were there particular areas of decentralization that um, you were interested in, that team at large? I think that the, actually the team at large had very different interests. And that is, that was one of the interesting part in the process. We had an internal committee and that was built out of people from our various teams. And some people had an interest in security. Some people had more of an interest on the actual business applications of the technology. Um, I myself was coming at this mostly from an ideological point of individual freedom and empowerment. So the final selection actually emerged from the creative tension between all these perspectives. So how many teams applied for the grant and what was the response like? The response was fascinating actually. We we got well over 100 applications. About 30% of those were looked to be like optimistic bets from actually commercial projects. I was actually expecting that percentage to be somewhat higher. Um, but the vast majority of the others were just teams that completely fed the grant. In fact, I would love to have been able to give a grant to many, to most of these and because there were people working on extremely different areas. So the selection process was actually quite tough for us. So of the more than 100 applicants, how many projects were actually chosen? We ended up choosing nine submissions in total, uh, seven very focused on technical aspects and two more that are working on things that we consider are foundational for the industry, even if not necessarily writing code. So give me some examples of some of the winners and what they're hoping to do with these projects. A fascinating one is a project by a nonprofit foundation called Digital Democracy. And the project is called Mapeo. Hey, it's Carissa McKelvey, a software engineer from Digital Democracy. Digital democracy works in solidarity with marginalized communities to use technology to defend their rights. We're really excited to receive funding from Mapeo, a mobile and desktop application which we have built over the past five years in partnership with indigenous communities in South America. Communities collaboratively create maps, documenting ancient knowledge of their territories as well as environmental abuses such as oil spills and illegal mining. We ensure that communities have the tools and training they need to monitor and gather on-the-ground evidence so that they can leverage this information in legal, advocacy, and campaign work to defend their lands. All of the data they collect is stored privately on mobile phones and laptops with no internet or centralized services required. This year, we plan to make it easier for developers who want to use decentralized map databases in their own applications. And what they do is that they do peer-to-peer mapping and they're trying to help, not in a, let's say, mass scale like Google Maps, but to actually help small communities and small marginalized communities. Now, let me tell you a bit about a peer-to-peer approach. This basically means uh, that anybody in the network can be both a server and a client, and they can just share information directly between the different participants on the network. Like I said, this is a fascinating use of decentralization technology actually making a change in people's lives right now. One of the projects that I mentioned that are not necessarily writing code, but doing something that we think is foundational, is this project called She256. 
And effectively, what they're doing is trying to address the diversity issue that we have on the software industry, specifically for blockchain technologies, where it's even worse. My name is Alexis Gaba, and I'm one of the co-founders of She256. She256 is a nonprofit dedicated to increasing diversity and breaking down barriers to entry in the blockchain space. So we're going to be launching a set of developer boot camps for underrepresented high school students, which will introduce them to blockchain fundamentals and blockchain development. Uh, put on a UI UX design hackathon for high school students so they can problem solve and tackle these challenges, even if they haven't heard about blockchain before, um, and commit more resources to being able to hold more community events and more community initiatives to really bring people into the space and emphasize the importance of diversity and inclusion. And I can't think basically of anything that is more foundational than increasing diversity in the space. Peer Maps is a project that are approaching this more from a decentralized map hosting and map distribution side of things. My name is James Halliday, and I'm coordinating the Peer Maps project. Peer Maps is a decentralized, offline-friendly tool for viewing maps. With the grant funding, we plan to integrate and extend our existing prototypes into a fully peer-to-peer cooperative alternative to commercial map providers. And they are also focusing on more end-user features, like a very particular approach that they're working on for map rendering, which could be really interesting, not only for this, but for any other project that needs to to display a map in the future. So the money is just one part of the grant program. What are some of the other advantages that um, we're hoping to help out these projects with as part of Samsung Next? One of the great things about Next is that we have uh, basically an amazing group of people here. It was frankly, what really tempted me into joining Samsung Next in the first place. Uh, so a lot of these teams have a very strong focus on what they're building. I mean, they're very technology focused, but we can likely provide them guidance in other areas. For instance, if eventually they want to see how this, how a large company would use the technology, this is likely something that we can suggest. If they're looking at turning this into a commercial business or using this technology in a commercial business, uh, this is something that could help guide and could help provide them guidance with as well. And we also have an extremely large network where we can help connect the teams with other people or other foundations or other companies that might be relevant for them as well. So those are the key aspects, I think, where we can help the teams immediately in the short term. And in the longer term, I do hope that Samsung and Samsung Next supporting teams like this helps bring them exposure and no small amount of validation of us saying not only these technologies are important, but the work that these people doing are important and others should help as well. So now that you've chosen these projects, what comes next? Oh, well, one of the things that we're doing is we're very reaching out to these teams um, because there's some advice that we can provide on, uh, for them based on the applications. In Next, we have seen a lot of companies and we've seen a lot of teams and we have seen these teams go to particular dead ends, let's say. Uh, so we can provide some guidance of like, hey, you may want to consider this approach. Or you may not want to consider this sort of thing because we have seen that played out in a particular way. And we're already dispersing the funds to the teams so that they can start using this to fund their plans and what they had originally made the, the proposal for. And we definitely want to do more activities like this, helping expose the teams, helping them 
reach a much wider audience so that they both get used and they get a lot more support. Well, I look forward to hearing more about these teams and what happens with them in the future. So thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here. Congratulations to all of the recipients of the Stack Zero grant. To learn more about the program and all the teams that were selected, go to samsungnext.com slash what's dash next. We release a new episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Laura Flynn with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email to podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time.